Hello and welcome to the Euractive Agri-Food Podcast. I'm Natasha Foote. I'm Julia Dam. And I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from Euractive's Agri-Food News team. This week, the Czech presidency takes over the reins of the rotating EU presidency. So what are the Czech presidency's ambitions when it comes to the agri-sector? We hear from a representative from the Czech presidency to learn more. More about that later on in the podcast. But first, let's dig into the biggest news of this week, the EU-New Zealand Free Trade Agreement. Indeed, the EU and New Zealand have concluded a negotiation for a trade agreement. Imagine that the talk um, for this uh, trade agreement started back in June 2018. Oh my goodness. I wasn't even working as your at your active at that point. That's what I was going to say. I wasn't even born yet, but maybe that's no, <laughs> Me neither. I started in no, September neither, no way. 2018. I was at the party at the time. Oh my goodness. This has been, this has taken a long time. Okay. Well, I mean, free trade agreements are... An in-depth process. Very complicated. And also, um, there are some interesting features in this agreement. Uh, Like, for instance, there are some unprecedented sustainability uh, commitments. For instance, the the respect of the Paris Climate Agreement, but also uh, labor rights, which are enforceable through trade sanctions as a last resort. So it's uh, quite interesting. Mm. And of course, everyone is hoping that this deal could bring some significant economic opportunities for not only for companies, but also for consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, when we're talking about trade deal, we as uh, agri-food reporters, we are kind of uh, attracted, let's say. Well, free trade agreements are always a sensitive spot for the agriculture sector. Yeah. We're always somehow involved. We end up being, ends up being very... Uh, very political political and geopolitical. <laughs> Absolutely. Just think about how critical are the negotiations on geographical indication. Oh, here we go. Yeah. G- do you know G.I. Joe? I know now. Yeah. You do? The action figure. Your G.I. Jez. Okay. <laughs> you, you, you don't have to laugh. Eh? Like, I mean... It's, uh, she wanted to. So, geographical indication, uh, to be fair, there was a bit of, uh, let's say, not, not of a mystery, but they didn't share, the commission didn't share the list of geographical indication immediately. How dare they? Yeah. I like that you're already doing like a mystery voice. They didn't Indeed. share the list. Prepare. It's not that mysterious because they did share it when we asked them to share it. Yeah, but of it's course. true they didn't offer it up, but yeah, I use my power as uh, my influence uh, on Twitter <laughs> to get the to get this uh, list. And of course, it intrigued us because we thought, well, what's hiding in here that you haven't published? Yeah, uh, okay. and what's hiding in there, Gerardo? <laughs> The, the main issue with New Zealand and and, uh, and also with uh, the Australian FTA is that... <laughs> the main issue. <laughs> one of the issues is that, for instance, in Australia, apparently there's um, a Parmesan that got the PGI in, in Australia. There's like some Australian Parmesan. And uh, it's always been a very a controversial point because, of course, Parmigiano-Reggiano is the uh, the original one that got the protection. Uh, I like how biased you are as well. You said that this is the main issue. 
from the Italian perspective. So the interesting point <laughs> that I that I spotted, but actually, it, I think it was already included in the CETA, in the, mm. the one with Canada, mm-hmm. is that they basically, because of the existence of this uh, New Zealand Parmesan, um, the protection of Parmigiano-Reggiano um, is granted, of course, but there's some kind of cohabitation. So basically, uh, the use of Parmesan in the territory of New Zealand is allowed uh, if it has been used in good faith for at least five years before the entry into force of the agreement. So I was wondering how um, project producers from Croatia will take the news that uh, there will be in New Zealand uh, the possibility to use the term Parmesan. <laughs> because you know that there's uh, an issue with the Prosec, uh, which is completely different wine uh, compared to Prosecco, but still, uh, it's impossible for them to get, uh, not even the geographic indication, it was uh, uh, something even lower. But yes, this is the, again, the geographic indication curiosity, but there's o- there's also more than that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> indeed. It's <laughs> more than this main issue, there's also some, some tiny side issues. So now we've cleared up that key issue. <laughs> no, but it is interesting. Every time it comes back to GI. Oh, thank you. It is, no, it's a very interesting point and it's always contentious. So actually spotting that. To be fair, Gerardo, I think you are potentially the only person in the world that would have realized this in this depth your perfect position between gi expert italian no but there's a similar there's a similar cross for feta too but feta won uh, last nine years no i uh, i i read the list it's not that i got the list I read it. i'd like the record to show the next time i say you know that you're such a gi enthusiast and you deny it the first thing you're doing is reading every single list of what's going out in this free trade agreement. It's very oh, long. I like it. yeah, it's very long. It's very passionate. Yeah, it's true that, I mean, there's the agreement will, there's going to be a protection of a whole host of EU wines and spirits and cheese, other cheeses, different kinds of cheeses. There's a, You can check out the whole list of those. Um, and this this element of things was welcomed by farmers. So, you know, they did say, they recognize there were some efforts that's been made to protect certain sensitive areas, to do work on geographical indications. But EU farmers, I mean, somewhat predictably, <laughs> every time it comes to a free trade agreement, of course, there's these sensitive areas. And um, EU Farmers Association, Kukukajeka, did reserve quite a lot of criticism for the deal. Um, they were saying that EU dairy, sheep and beef are the sacrificed lambs. What they said in their statement. I know. Very um, they poetic. Said, I know. They said that painful compromises have been made on sensitive sectors. So um, they're basically warning that there's going to be, this deal will increase the structural negative trade balance, which was about 750 million euros in 2021 on agriculture. And they point out this is a period where, you know, farmers are struggling to invest on things like sustainability and struggling to stay afloat for a number of reasons. Um, and dairy, I mean, you already mentioned cheese, actually. It's a very appropriate segue because I think dairy is actually one of the sectors that's a key bone of contention. Yeah. Uh, the European dairy sector put out a warning that the deal will substantially increase market pressure. Um, you know, I think the key problem is that New Zealand and um, and, and dairy producers in, in the EU are very different, very different beasts. Um, so uh, most of New Zealand's milk um, gets processed by a single dairy. Apparently, hmm. yeah. Whereas the you know the the layout of the sector, the, the you know the setup of the sector here is very different. It's smaller. It's 
more characterized by you know small sizes regional dairies things like that so there's very different you know apples and oranges here or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. pears and yeah um so they're, they're very worried about this increasing pressure on the european dairy sector um and what will happen with that um there were others that were a bit happier though in some of their reactions um so as you already said you know both sides claim this deal has some of the most sustainable, uh, the most ambitious sustainability commitments in any trade agreement ever. Um, you know, respect for the Paris Agreement is a central element of this um, of this agreement. Um, and actually, for the first time ever in a trade uh, deal, the deal actually has a dedicated sustainable food systems chapter. So that's going to be interesting. Um, oh, and there sure, was a model even for the next one exactly indeed it's very interesting as a yeah as a well at the same time it, it could be more difficult for the next ones because obviously new zealand is a country where yeah you has some some overlaps in terms of values in terms of priorities but when it comes to the mercosur and uh i think chile mm. ones that are coming up it could it could potentially be more difficult it's true it's true it's true um yeah yeah also because um uh, actually, I'm still thinking of the fact that of the sacrifice now. Like, I mean, if uh, if you know, Copago... that's a very powerful image. No, like, I mean, it. if they basically doing our job, like, if if Copago Jagger writes in a press release sacrifice now, what what are we supposed to do? Like, I mean, uh, we should use a uh, scapegoat. That's, that's... I, I immediately yeah. like an <laughs> Easter image in my head. It's like the Easter land. Yeah, yeah, sacrificed. Uh, <laughs> please uh, keep keep writing some uh, more formal uh, stuff because I mean this is becoming difficult for us to <laughs> raise the bar. But yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but there was some, there was some, like, well, animal welfare. It is yet to be seen exactly the animal welfare related yeah. conditions that's going to be actually in the deal, like the details of of how this is going to play out. But there was one um, part of the deal that was really welcomed, especially by. Um, campaign group Eurogroup for animals. So while the agreement still contains tariff uh, rate quotas for New Zealand beef and sheep meat, um, the beef quota will be reserved for meat derived from animals fed with grass. So purely we can only import beef that's been fed on grass. And that's welcomed by the campaign groups um, who... um, reserve a lot of criticism for feedlots. They say this, you know, causes huge animal suffering, different diseases, things like that, bad impact on the environment. So they did welcome that as an interesting little um, detail there about a, the kind of the first glimpse of a animal welfare related condition there in this trade deal. There may be more to come, but we're not sure. We're not really sure about the details and um, something to uh, to watch in the coming days. Let's see. And uh, indeed also, I mean, if you see the news about this, it basically says that you and New Zealand struck this trade agreement, but actually we're not quite there yet. It's not it's not been signed. It's just that the commission struck a deal with um with New Zealand, but now there are some next steps. So first the negotiated texts, um draft texts will be published. These will then go through some legal revision, which is called legal scrubbing, and will be all translated into all the EU official languages, so some formalities there. But importantly, um, the EU Commission will also have to submit the agreement for signature and conclusion to the Council. So this means that um, all the Council, which is made up of the member states, will have to agree. And once adopted by the Council, uh, the EU and New Zealand will be able to sign the agreement. But that's not all. Um, Following the signature, the text will also be transmitted to the European Parliament for its consent. Um, and after the consent by the Parliament, once New Zealand also ratifies it, 
then the agreement can enter into force. So essentially, uh, both the Council, which is made up of the member states, uh, and the European Parliament will have to agree before this agreement can be signed and entered into force. Easy peasy. <laughs> You're listening to Euractiv's AgriFood podcast. Subscribe to our podcast newsletter on euractivecom slash newsletters. And if you want to expand your knowledge in other fields, you can listen to our Digital Brief podcast and Beyond the Byland podcast. And if you have any comments or ideas, you can email us at podcast at euractive.com. And as we hinted at the beginning of the podcast, um, of course, the Czech presidency has now officially started on the 1st of July. Yoo-hoo. It's taken over the reins from the French presidency. There are big handover ceremonies, lots of lots of stuff going on this week. It's all very exciting. Um, and of course, the question is, what are the key priorities for this presidency when it comes to agri-food? So we already had a few different articles, which you can check out um, on the Uractive website. Um a little bit of a some mixed messages going on at the start um, of the presidency when it comes to agri-food. Um, you know, we're speaking about putting the farm to fork on pause, talking about whether the sustainability uh, goals are, you know, on pause or, you know. Of course, affected by the... By the Ukraine war. By the Ukraine war and food security issue. Exactly. So lots of, anyway, lots of question marks going on about what their main goals are. And actually food doesn't feature in their top five priorities. It's not actually named, you know, explicitly in their, in their major priorities. So we actually spoke with Dmitry Chernikov, who is a spokesperson, the Corpa One spokesperson of the Czech uh, Perm Rep here in Brussels, um, to hear a little bit more about what he has to say about the main priorities over this uh, over the course of the presidency when it comes to agriculture. Of course, the last few months have been uh, tumultuous uh, with the Ukraine war. So how has this war shaped the priorities of the Czech presidency when it comes to agriculture? Russian aggression to Ukraine has reformulated the priorities of the Czech presidency practically in all areas, and agriculture is no exception. Uh, after recovering from the COVID pandemics, ensuring food security is once again on the top of the agenda. And therefore, addressing the impacts of the crisis caused by Russian aggression will be our priority. We will continue to steer the discussion on the market situation. And what we are planning to do is to put this point on every meeting uh, of the um, council uh, during our presidency. And uh, we will give the ministers the opportunity to address uh, the most worrying issues and also to come up with the proposals for the measures if uh, it is necessary. One of the main challenges in the coming months will be the adoption of member states' CAP national strategic plans. So how does the Czech presidency plan on overseeing this? Currently, the member states are discussing with the Commission about the strategic plans and our presidency wants to contribute to finalizing this discussion. Of course, it will not be an easy one because we have to balance our long-term objectives together with the new challenges, be it farm to fork, fit for 55 or the biodiversity strategy. But uh, at the end, uh, we think that it is necessary to provide farmers with clarity to give them certainty, legal certainty 
uh, and uh, this is what we we think uh, will be very important during our presidency. Um, the question, of course, is how to do it, and this is something we as EU member states will try to give an answer to during the political discussions uh, at the AgriFish Council meetings. There will also be a key focus in the Czech presidency on forests. There are two points connected to this issue. First being deforestation-free supply chains. Uh, we will want to ensure that the EU consumers do not contribute to global deforestation. And as you know, the uh, Environment Council has adopted uh, a common uh, negotiating position on Commission's proposal, so we are going to start the trilogues. And the second issue relates to forestry and forests in the EU in general. Uh, and here we will be uh, looking to enhance EU's contribution to protection of forests and also to sustainable forestry. So what other key issues are coming up on the Czech presidency's menu? Of course, I also cannot avoid the uh, issue of pesticides. And uh, this is the discussion which we will start already at the next council on the 18th of July. And the focus will be, of course, on the efficient use of pesticides and promoting sustainable production. I also would like to briefly touch upon some other things um, for fisheries, because this is an issue which is also discussed at the AgriFish Council. Uh, as you know, in the second half of the year, the presidency tries to reach political agreements for Baltic Sea, for deep seas, for uh, main taxing quotas, including Atlantic and North Sea, and also for Mediterranean. And uh, we also want to emphasize the role of sustainable aquaculture, because this is something very important for us as a landlocked country. Continuing on from the French presidency, geographical indications will also be up for discussion, as well as better biosecurity measures against diseases. We will continue this discussion and uh, we will see where, where we get. Um, next topics uh, we will be discussing during our uh, presidency are, of course, animal health. This is, of course, very important, not only uh, because of the prevention and uh, control of serious animal diseases, but, uh, of course, the discussion will be on uh, current situation because there are several animal diseases which are spreading, uh, such as African swine fever or avian influenza. Earlier, we already talked about the EU-New Zealand Free Trade Agreement, and this leads us right over to our flavor of the week. And I'll call New Zealand Prime Minister to introduce it. Kiwi fruit is finally able to come into the European market tariff-free. That's Ooh. what she said after the, the deal was struck. No, so we talk, yeah. We're going to talk about... Kiwi! Kiwi, exactly. I actually can't eat kiwi because I'm slightly allergic to it. <laughs> Why are we doing this stuff? <laughs> we can still talk about other people eat kiwi. How are we going to test kiwi now? <laughs> we don't have any kiwis here. No, I got it in my pocket. <laughs> no. Julia, you got some kiwi there. Uh, nope. So it's the first time that we don't... Where are we going to get taste? our kiwis from? 
I guess from New Zealand now. <laughs> eh, 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 that's surprisingly not true. Uh-huh. Because, uh, of course, New Zealand is by far the largest exporter of kiwis worldwide with more than 570,000 tons exported in 2020. But there is also actually um, significant, significant kiwi production within the EU. For instance, the second largest exporter in the world is Italy. A lot of Italy propaganda going on. <laughs> Patriotism. But also Greece. Ah, there you go. Okay, all right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Greece comes in third place. And uh, who would have guessed? Even Belgium is in the Belgium. Fourth. Belgium kiwi production, guys. Wow. Yeah. Of course. Belgium is known for fries and waffles and kiwis. And kiwis. <laughs> no, I, I, this is uh, out of the script. <laughs> uh oh. Here we go. <laughs> How many times have I told you do not go off piece? Do you know? Do you know? <laughs> Italy as a geographical indication for kiwi. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, there's um, oh, wow, a this protected, comes real full circle. A PGI, this a protected geographical indication for kiwi uh, of Agropontino, which is this place in Italy, uh, where it's basically the one third of the production of kiwi in Italy is concentrated in this. Uh, it's in near Rome. Latina, Latina is famous for, uh, there's even a famous singer from Latina, Calcutta, who wrote a song called Kiwi, but yeah, this is another story. Your GI knowledge never No, this, this is GI music, is everything. Gosh. And, uh, and of course, if you look at production rather than exports, Italy actually produces more Kiwis than New Zealand. Uh, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And of course, China comes in first place, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's another story. Well, it might be surprising that the EU is such an important producer of kiwis, but production in Europe really picks up in the 1980s, a bit later on than New Zealand, actually, uh, where exports basically exploded in the uh, in the late 1960 and also early 1970s. Um, but what's also surprising or might be surprising is that kiwis aren't actually native to New Zealand, despite being so linked to the country um, and inhabitants even sometimes being called kiwis. Um, instead, they're actually native to central and eastern China, which I already mentioned China. There you go. Um, and spread from there to New Zealand only in the early 20th century. So um, there you go. However, um, it was there that the fruit was first cultivated commercially. So they do have some kind of claim on that. Um, it is also in New Zealand where the kiwi got its name. So inhabitants named it after the kiwi bird because the fruit is as fuzzy as the bird. Sounds Cute. delicious. Fuzzy. <laughs> Sounds delicious. The, the bird. <laughs> or the fruit. A fuzzy fruit that's like a bird. Like, uh, sounds, sounds super delicious. Mm. But actually also... Does sound delicious the fuzziness because obviously it's the skin of the kiwi that's fuzzy, mm. and um, I was shocked to read to read this when I when I found out. But you can actually eat the skin. Uh, I had no idea. Now I'm I'm quite curious to try now, but I don't have I any kiwi have here. That. Have you, Gerardo? Have you eaten Italian kiwi skin? <laughs> <laughs> no. Whoa! This is is a there a GI for kiwi skin? Dream for me, but. <laughs> But also for some more uh, for some more facts about eating kiwis, um, including kiwis in your, di- in your diet can actually have uh, some nice health benefits. It can aid digestion because it contains an enzyme that's called actinidin, mm. which I'm going to mispronounce, but fine. Yeah, fine. Uh, but in any case, this uh, enzyme facilitates the better breakdown of protein, and this helps you that 
it can help you digest protein-rich foods. On a side note, this is also why it can be used to tenderize meat in recipes. Um, but kiwis are also rich in vitamins C, E, and K, as well as antioxidants. Um, however, uh, as we've already heard from Tash, these benefits maybe aren't for everyone because some people can have quite severe allergic reactions to kiwis. Mine's not uh, severe. So she's not faking an allergy. She's actually having an allergy. Why would I be faking an allergy? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you want to be... <laughs> Mine's not severe. It's not severe. I, I don't die. I can still have a bit of kiwi if I want to, but my mouth... Is it worth it? Yeah, it that's, depends. Uh, that's for you to decide. But also, if you're not sure, some of, your list, uh, of our listeners maybe, whether you might react allergically to kiwis or not, here's some clues. If you're allergic to hazelnuts, avocados, figs, pollen, or latex, uh, you could experience a cross-reaction and be allergic to kiwi as well. So uh, watch out for that. So that's all from us this week. This week, the AgriFood podcast was produced by Uactive's AgriFood team, Gerardo Fortuna, Natasha Foot, and Julia Dam, with the technical support of Evie Kiori. You can also find this podcast on all major streaming platforms. That includes Amazon, Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. And be sure to subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest agriculture news from the EU. I'm Gerardo Fortuna. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Mm-hmm.